This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Special episode again this evening. I did this podcast last year, and the feedback from it was positive, and it was really just a good, you know, challenge for myself to come up with these rankings, trying to compare the 2020 rookies. We've all talked dynasty rookie rankings, we've done mock drafts, but trying to make a ranking board with them versus the 2019 rookies after their first season in the NFL. So we have a lot more data. So this isn't based on talent. This is now the 2019 rookies after a year of information. We've seen what they've done, you know, relative to the 2020 class now where we don't know anything yet. And I think it does make, you know, a lot of people have had their rookie drafts, but people still have a lot of rookie drafts left to come in in the month of June and July. And then I noticed a whole bunch more, in August and myself included have a whole bunch of them in August. So I do think it's interesting. It's an interesting challenge to try to rank these two classes together. Cause I think if you have rankings on them and you have some clarity on it, it could open the door up for you to make some trades with 2020 picks for some 2019 rookies. Everyone gets that rookie fever. And I think sometimes the prudent move might be to try to trade some 2020 picks for some 2019 rookies who now have, you know, already finished year one in the NFL. So I think it's a good challenge to try to do this, set it up and ask yourself, where would you kind of put these guys? Would you rather have this player or this pick, which would be used on this player, or would you rather trade it for a guy from last year's class? So it's a fun exercise. Like I said, I did it last year. I did it, you know, again this year, you know, I'll probably put this up somewhere, whether it's uh, in the rankings notebook or on the website as well. It might not be something that I continue to update, you know, because my focus is going to be on just the keeping up to date with the dynasty rookie rankings. But I do think it at least puts some perspective right now, especially since there's no mini camps is, you know, we don't even know what training camps are going to look like. I think it's, you know, it's kind of intriguing to kind of think about this from this capacity. So let's get started. Going to start the quarterback position. You know, I think this was the easiest, to be honest with you. This and tight ends were the two easiest to to rank them. You know, I didn't really come across many issues at all, to be frankly honest with you, in terms of ranking, you know, the quarterbacks and tight ends where I grouped 2019 uh, rookies after their first season to the 2020 rookies. If I start the quarterback position, the, the top, the top four for me is is very easy. You know, number one is Kyler Murray. What he did in Arizona last year, and now the acquisition of DeAndre Hopkins, the running threat. You know, to me, in all of Dynasty, he should be QB three on people's Dynasty quarterback rankings. I think to me, that's how high Kyler Murray should be. It's Patrick Mahomes for me, number one. Lamar Jackson, number two. Kyler Murray should be number three. I'd rather have Kyler Murray than Ross Wilson. I'd rather have him ahead of Deshaun Watson right now because Deshaun Watson, you know, lost DeAndre Hopkins. I think if there's a quarterback that's going to have a Lamar Jackson 
just monster breakout season this year. It's going to be Kyler Murray, second year, you know, in that scheme. The addition of Hopkins, you know, upgraded offensive line play. I really think he's set to have a major statistical breakout this year. And I think Murray, hands down, when you add the running component in it, takes the cake over the rest of the quarterbacks from 2019 and even the top two guys in the 2020 class. So Murray's the number one. Number two and three for me is the top two quarterbacks from 2020, and that's Joe Burrow to the Bengals and, and to a, a Tunga Lavoa for Miami. I love Burrow's ceiling. And two, I don't think is far behind. I do think there is this misconception that two is this runner. People, he's mobile. He's got good athleticism. He's not a runner. To, to be honest with you, Joe Burrow, I think, is going to rush for more yards in the NFL than Tua does. And I don't think it's even because the injuries are the hip. I think that would have been the case even if Tua was completely healthy. I, I think his athleticism and mobility pro- have people confused and thinking he's this really athletic quarterback in terms of rushing ability. I don't think that would ever be his game. He makes plays with his legs in terms of keeping plays alive, throwing on the run, picking up some yards when he needs. But I actually think there's more rushing production in terms of uh, with Joe Burrow and especially, you know, with his size could be used near the goal line. So I have Burrow higher, no injury, you know, factors there. So He's ahead of two in my 2020 Dynasty rookie ranking, so he's obviously got to be higher than him here. So for me, that top three of Murray, Burrow, and Tua is is pretty clear. And as much as I like number four, who's which is Daniel Jones, and I think he's one of the number one buys in all of Dynasty right now, him and Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills continue to not get the respect they deserve because of pre-draft narratives that so much of draft Twitter and so much of fantasy Twitter refuses to admit that maybe they were wrong, continues to keep these guys' values low. Daniel Jones had a fantastic rookie season when you take into account that he played behind a terrible offensive line. He played with... Saquon Barkley was hurt most of the year. His Golden Tate missed time. Sterling Shepard missed a lot of time. And then his next best pass catcher was a fifth-round rookie, Darius Slayton, who really emerged last year. Daniel Jones did all of that and put up great stats in terms of touchdowns, yardage. Yes. Does he got to clean up the turnovers? For sure. But let's not act like that is the B-end end-all, that he can't correct the fumble issue. The fumble issue, I do not think, is something that is going to be a long-term issue with him. He's got to speed up his mental processing, his internal clock. I think he will. And if it wasn't that people dislike Daniel Jones before the draft and refuse to change their, their look and stance on him, I think people would be looking at his rookie year and, was, and would be saying it was outstanding for a rookie quarterback in those settings. Before the draft, we had Mark Schofield, Mark Schofield came on who always talks quarterbacks with us, and he talked about how much he was wrong about Daniel Jones and then watching him this year and, and what he saw about him. So I do think Daniel Jones, to be honest with you, I think Daniel Jones might even end up being a better fantasy quarterback than Tua. I, I, I believe that. And I don't think there's much gap between Joe Burrow and Daniel Jones right now. But because I like Joe Burrow and Tua on film in college more, 
I'm still leaning towards them too over Daniel Jones, even though I was really impressed with Daniel Jones. I mean, I've, I've got on record, so I don't need to get into it again. That yeah, I had a lot of reservations. I didn't want Daniel Jones to be the quarterback of my favorite franchise, the New York Football Giants. I was disappointed when they selected him. I was live with Matt Wallman and Sigmund Bloom on the football guys live round one draft show. And, you know, it was obvious. I thought he was more of a Ryan Tannehill, you know, type player. Maybe he could become Kirk Cousins. But to be honest with you, after one year and after preseason and early in the season, I think his ceiling is higher than that. I think he could be a really good to very good NFL starting quarterback. And he's got the rushing component too, similar to Joe Burrow. I feel like, I feel like Daniel Jones and Joe Burrow very much are like that Andrew Luck type rushing ability where they're never going to rush for 500 yards, but they might rush for 350 yards and they might score four to six touchdowns some years. So I think that extra little bonus that you get from those two is very intriguing. So in reality, I think the Daniel Jones and Tua right now is a coin flip. And, and, and you take into account, I think Daniel Jones will rush more than him, have more rushing touchdowns, and doesn't have the injury concerns. And he's got a better supporting cast around them with Saquon Barkley and, and Evan Ingram and, and Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard that I, I, I could even see somebody having them flip-flop. I really, really could. To me, they're the top four, and it's not even close. It's a massive teardrop after that, the quarterback position. So I'm going to run down my next six guys because I don't think there's much separating the next six guys. At number five, I have Drew Locke with the Broncos. Number six, I have Justin Herbert with the Chargers. Number seven, I have Dwayne Haskins to the Redskins. Number eight, I have Jared Stidham to New England. Number nine, I have Jordan Love to in Green Bay. And number 10, Gardner Minshew of the Jaguars. I have Drew Locke at number five because I love what they have added around him in this year's past draft class with Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, last year, Noah Fant, and then Cortland Sutton in the fold as well. They are going to give him every opportunity to spread it out, play fast. They even went out and got him his tight end, Albert Okawebenam, you know, from college. So they are set up to give Drew Locke everything. So he doesn't have the draft capital of most of those guys. He doesn't have the draft capital of Herbert, of Haskins, of Love. He doesn't have the draft capital of any of them. He was a second-round pick last year. They passed on him multiple times you know, last year. But now he finished the year pretty solidly. And now you've added those weapons that I think, and he's got some athleticism too to help out in terms of maybe some rushing capabilities. And then, you know, with, with those weapons, I'm really intrigued uh, by him to be, to be honest with you. So he's the guy I, I put at five because of his surrounding cast. You know, I think Justin Herbert and Dwayne Haskins on film alone, I like those guys more coming into the NFL, but with Drew Locke's, set up in Denver. He's my number five and how he finished the year. Uh, Herbert at six over Haskins at seven. I liked Haskins more on college film, but I got to be honest with you. I was very discouraged with what I saw of Dwayne Haskins last year. And what I read about Dwayne Haskins didn't really seem like he was very much the work ethic type in terms of studying the playbook, you know, there were some rumblings about that pre-draft and that's why he wasn't even on the giants board because, you know, you know, just wasn't the type of guy. And then the body language and how he came across last year. And listen, Washington is a horrendous situation. He deserves to get an opportunity to see once they get a better team around them. You know, but I'm more intrigued with Justin Herbert for fantasy. One, because he's got some mobility with those legs, so he could add some stuff there. And because the Chargers got a good setup. I mean, they got Keenan Allen. They got Mike Williams. They have Hunter Henry. 
they have Austin Eckler on the backfield. Herbert is set up to be have more fantasy relevance than I think Dwayne Haskins is whenever they both are starting quarterbacks. And I think there's uncertainty that either one of them start this year for a while. I think Tyrod Taylor very much could hold off Justin Herbert for a while. And I think with everything going on in our country right now, with Ron Rivera trading for Kyle Allen, who we had in Carolina, I don't think it's a lock. Dwayne Haskins is the starter this year. I think it could be Kyle Allen. And if that's the case, that doesn't speak volumes about Dwayne Haskins' long-term outlook as a starting quarterback in the Washington Redskins. I would be very concerned. So they're my six, seven. And then I have Stidham eight, love nine and Minshew 10. Like I talked about, I have Stidham ahead of love and Minshew because he's going to get an opportunity to play right now. He's a great franchise. I liked his, you know, college film a lot. He, he left me always wanting a little bit more when he was being talked about as a top 10 or top 15 pick, but he chose a terrible place to transfer from Baylor to Auburn. And did not, cater to his skill set whatsoever if he went to a different place i think he could have been a first or second round pick last year and not been selected you know in round four where the patriots stole him i think he's going to surprise people this year so i'm intrigued by jared stidham jordan love i like the skill set but he's gonna have to wait a couple years out so that's why i have jordan love at nine and then gardner Minshew, i have a 10 and people might look at this and say that's crazy i've seen gardner Minshew as high as you know daniel jones ahead of drew Locke, etc etc i'm just not a believer I think Gardner Minshew is a nice story. I think he's a high, I think he's a high level backup quarterback slash spot starter. I think it's ceiling his average starting quarterback. And I think if he wasn't a sixth round pick, he would be looked at very differently. If he was a first round pick, I think people would say Gardner Minshew had a very average season. Instead, people are looking at Gardner Minshew and, and looking like he had this great season compared to Daniel Jones. And the difference is that people are grading Daniel Jones as a top six pick and people are grading Gardner Minshew as a sixth round pick. And in, in long long-term ramifications, I don't think it matters. I think his leash is going to be a lot shorter than the other guys I've talked about. And I think he's a game manager type. I think he's good in the short to intermediate range. And I don't think he's a long-term starter. I think Jacksonville very much could be in the Trevor Lawrence and, you know, Justin Fields conversation next year. So that's why Gardner Minshew is a little bit further down the list and rounding it out for me, Jacob Eason at 11, uh, Jalen Hurts, 12, Jake Luton, 13, Will Greer, 14, Cole McDonald, 15. Then I have Jake Fromm down there at 16. Uh, Jacob Eason and Jalen Hurts are 11 and 12 because Eason might have an opportunity down the line to be the heir apparent to Phillip Rivers there in Indianapolis, Jalen Hurts because of his upside, uh, He's kind of buried there behind Carson Wentz. You know, Jake Luton in Jacksonville, I just talked about, I'm not a believer in Gardner Minshew. Does Luton ever get an opportunity? Will Greer, you know, he had a brief opportunity last year. I really liked Will Greer last year, but, you know, now with them bringing in Teddy and, you know, maybe another quarterback down the line, does he ever get an opportunity to get back in the mix? And then Cole McDonald in Tennessee, you know, I like, I think he's an intriguing developmental quarterback. So that's why he's at number 15 there for me. Uh, I'm not sure about Ryan Tannehill long-term. So we'll, we'll see about that. If I take this, I'm going to go to the tight ends next because I told you this, these were the easiest too. If I go to the tight end group, the tight end group, very straightforward. For me, it is TJ Hawkinson, one from Detroit, Noah Fan, two from Denver, Irv Smith Jr., three, Minnesota, Adam Trapman, four, New Orleans, Cole Komet, five, Chicago, Devin Asiasi, six, New England, uh, Dawson Knox, seven, Buffalo, Jay Sternberger, eight, Green Bay, Cahill Warren, uh, number nine, Houston, Josh Oliver, number 10, Jacksonville, uh, 
Dalton Keene, 11, New England. Colby Parkinson, 12, Seattle. Bryson Hopkins, 13, the Rams. 14, Harrison Bryan to the Browns. And 15, Albert Okawebenam, Denver. 16, Caden Smith of the Giants. And 17, Josiah DeGore, Green Bay. And 18, Foster Moreau of Oakland. So I think this was even easier than the quarterbacks. Uh, for me to rank Hawkinson, Fant, and Smith. Rank is my number one, two, three. They were my order, you know, for fantasy last year before the season started. They were they stayed that way the entire year. I could understand Noah Fant for some people being one, but to be honest with you, the Judy and Hamler additions to me keep him at number two. And I I even think Irv Smith could be on his heels and the addition of Okawebenam. I wouldn't be if someone wants to have Irv Smith number two and no offense for I don't think it's crazy. I think Irv Smith could be the breakout of this group. If there's a surprise breakout tight end this year, I think it's going to be Irv Smith Jr. I, I truly believe that, you know, with Stefan, uh, with Diggs no longer in Minnesota, I think Irv Smith Jr. could become a, a bigger part of that offense, even with Kyle Rudolph still there. Uh, after that, then my next three guys were the top guys in this year's tight end class. I personally have it, Adam Trapman, Cole Komet, Devin Asiasi. I think you can rank them in any which way for long term. Uh, originally, I had Asiasi ahead of Komet, and I still like Asiasi spot more. But because I'm also intrigued by Dalton Keene, I hedged a little bit and I put Cole Komet ahead of Devin Asiasi. After those guys, I have a lot of the day two picks from last year. Dawson Knox and Buffalo had a solid rookie year, but you know they're not a high volume pass offense, so I don't know how high his ceiling is. Uh, Jay Sternberger, we'll see. You know if he gets a bigger part of the offense in Green Bay. Cahill Warren was a third round pick with the Texans last year. They moved on from DeAndre Hopkins. They could use more from him, but his whole uh, rookie season was lost due to injury. Josh Oliver in Jacksonville, another third round pick. Let's see where, what happens with him. Uh, and then I put Dalton Keene at 11 because, you know, this is the guy that, you know, really tested out. I was a privilege to be a guest on the lockdown NFL podcast. And we were talking about Dalton Keene a little bit and his athleticism testing was phenomenal. And it, it's just baffling how Virginia tech didn't utilize him more. So he's a sneaky guy. So like, you know, I like Asiasi more, but you know, it's hard to really know. They were they both have the same draft capital. Asiasi could be asked to line up more in line and keen more the movement guy. So could that potentially give him more pass catching opportunities? It's debatable. And then, you know, Parkinson, Hopkins, Harrison Bryan, Okawebanam, to me, they're all very much interchangeable. They're all a little buried on the depth chart, gonna have to wait it out to see if they get an opportunity. And then don't sleep on Caden Smith. He had a really solid rookie season with the Giants when Evan Ingram was hurt. If there's been rumblings about Giants moving on from Evan Ingram for the longest time, if they were thinking about trading him or, you know, during the season or after the offseason, keep Caden Kaden Smith in the back of your radar. He already has rapport with Daniel Jones. He's a guy that the Giants seem to like a lot, that if they were to ever – in my opinion, be crazy and move on from Evan Ingram. I think Caden Smith could be a really intriguing name uh, for fantasy. So that's my that's my tight end rankings combining 2019 and 2020. If I take this to the running back group, so the running back group was the trickiest one because the top to me is very tricky. The top three guys, in in my opinion, could be ordered in any which way. I went with. 
the fact that Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders have shown me the ability to be successful at the NFL level. And Josh Jacobs did it behind a mediocre at best Oakland team. And Miles Sanders did it without being the bell cow early in the year. I have those guys as my number one and number two running backs in these rankings combined the 2019 and 2020 class. I have Clyde Edwards Hilaire right behind them, obviously first round running back this year to the chiefs. If I think those guys in startup leagues would be all very similar to each other. I think their dynasty value should be about the same. I think their startup value should be about the same. I think those got three are interchangeable in my opinion to meet as a little bit of a, uh, a tear break, you know, after those three guys, because, you know, the wild card in this whole thing is Josh Jacobs was a really good pass catching running back for Alabama. And for whatever reason, every move that Oakland has made, everything they have said seems to be that they don't want to use him much in that capacity. If he ever became a 50 or 55 catch guy, he would be hands down the guy that would be at the top. And I don't think it would be as much debate between him, Miles Sanders and Clyde Edwards Hilaire right now. What brings the group together is they just keep making moves, you know, bringing back Jalen Richard, you know, drafting Lynn Bowden and saying he's going to be a running back. You know, they keep making moves that if they keep him at that 20, 25 catch range, now we're talking Derrick Henry. He needs really good productive rushing stats and touchdowns to hold these guys off. So that's the wild card here. What do they think about Josh Jacobs? I mean, every action seems to think they don't think he can be much of a pass catcher, but is that the truth and is that what it stays at? You know, Miles Sanders, you know, are the Eagles going to bring in a guy like a Devontae Freeman or another veteran, you know, or is it just going to be him and Boston Scott? If it's him and Boston Scott, I think Miles Sanders could even be ahead of Josh Jacobs because I think he'll have more of an opportunity to impact it, you know, in in rushing and receiving. And then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Right now, listen, I think he's going to be very productive, but I don't think Damian Williams is going away. I, I Damian Williams could have been the MVP to Super Bowl. You know, Patrick Mahomes trusts him. Andy Reid trusts him. So for at least right now, I think Damian Williams is in the mix. I think Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders' total touches clearly are more than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to share. But Edwards-Hilaire is tied to that offense in KC. So I, I get it if someone wants to have it. I think they're all about the same. I think if I had the first pick in a rookie draft, I'd draft Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You know, but I, I also don't think it's crazy if somebody, you know, before the draft even happened, traded the 1.01 pick for Josh Jacobs or Miles Sanders. I, I wouldn't think that's crazy either in a rookie draft. You know, so I think they're close. For me, then four through seven just reverts back to the rest of the top five running backs from this year's class. I have Jonathan Taylor at four, J.K. Dobbins, Baltimore five, DeAndre Swift, Detroit six, Cam Akers seventh. We talked about them at length. I think, you know, the more and more I think about it, I think J.K. Dobbins might be ahead of Jonathan Taylor if I was asked to make that decision in a draft. I haven't been asked yet. So right now I still have Jonathan Taylor there, but that's a coin flip to me between Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins. Matt and I talked about it at length on multiple shows since the draft. Last week, Matt and I talked to Matt Williamson about it. In three years, if J.K. Dobbins is the most productive fantasy running back from this year's class, it would not surprise me. That offense, the scheme fit, you know, what Lamar Jackson and the RPOs is going to set up for J.K. Dobbins is going to be tremendous. He's a better receiver than Jonathan Taylor. I think Jonathan Taylor is at best in the Leonard Fournette mold. And, you know, that's not going to be a guy that's going to be relied on every single year. I think they like Naheem Hines a lot this year for also Marlon Mack will be more involved. 
So I think Jonathan Taylor is going to be a great in terms of his rushing ability. I think his receiving's got a long way to go, if it ever, to be you know fantasy viable in that regards. And then I've already had the Swift and Acres conversation. I like Swift's talent a little bit more, so I put him ahead. Acres might have a little bit of the better landing spot at the moment. I like both players, both of them, you know fell behind the other three guys based on immediate opportunity, landing spot, offensive line, etc. Going back to the group and these together, I have another mini group here. 8, 9, 10 is Keyshawn Vaughn, Tampa Bay, David Montgomery, Chicago, Devin Singletary, Buffalo. I put Keyshawn Vaughn at 8 because I do think for this year alone, he could outproduce those other two guys in terms of total yards and touchdowns. I have David Montgomery nine. Honestly, I don't want Vaughn or Montgomery in most of my leagues, you know, to be frankly honest with you. But if I'm ranking them, Vaughn would be eight. Montgomery would be nine. Singletary would be 10. I think this concerns about all of them. I don't think Keyshawn Vaughn is going to make Ron Jones completely go away. I think he's a replaceable back that I think next year they could easily be investing in a running back in round one or round two of the NFL draft or a good, talented one in free agency as well. So Keyshawn Vaughn is there. David Montgomery, I think last year Chicago tried to force feed him i think i think Nagy and you know the chicago you know front office is very much on thin ice i think they got to win this year i don't think they're going to force feed the issue in montgomery as much this year i i don't i think he's a solid running back i think he could be a, a serviceable starter but i think they got to maximize to Cohen again this year when they made Tariq Cohen an integral part of their offense a couple of years ago, he was an impact player. And then last year, they barely used him in that regards. And I think they tried to force feed David Montgomery too much. They have to get back to using Tariq Cohen a little bit more. Montgomery would not be a guy that I think long-term is a guy who's locked into a starting role, top 24 back. And then Devin Singletary. He's been a guy I've been very lukewarm on fully buying into because coming out of college, he wasn't a home run threat. He wasn't a good pass catcher. He wasn't good in pass protection. So I thought he was an early down runner on a team in Buffalo that had Frank Gore last year and Josh Allen, you know, pilfering a lot of short yards touchdowns. Well, Devin Singletary completely outproduces what I expected from him. I'm ready to buy in, but I wanted to see what they did in free agency in the draft. And then they go and draft the guy in the third round this year who's a better interior runner, had, was better statistically in terms of pass catching. So now where does that? And they both have round three draft capital. So I think, you know, Devin Singletary is the incumbent. So I think he's going to get an opportunity to lead the backfield in touches. But again, his touchdown upside is limited with the new addition of Zach Moss and Josh Allen rushing in so many touchdowns. So I think there's a lot of questions about Singletary. At number 11, I have A.J. Dillon, Green Bay. We'll see. Right now, he's behind Aaron Jones, but they invested a second-round pick in him, so you would think at some point it's going to get an opportunity to be a pretty significant role, or they plan on moving on from Aaron Jones after the year. You know, But A.J. Dillon's another guy who's not going to be much involved in the past game, so he's going to be a guy that really relies on workload, heavy volume, and touchdowns to be fantasy viable. I do like the player, hated the landing spot, hated the fit, hated how far, how early they even took him, to be honest with you. Number 12, Darrell Henderson, intriguing player. I really liked him. I loved the landing spot last year. I thought that scheme was going to open up a lot of spaces, that he was going to be productive. They seem to not be a big fan of him last year. He never really got much of an opportunity. Now, you know, they let Todd Gurley leave, but it's not to give Darrell Henderson the rock. It seems like it's they went out and drafted Cam Akers early. So what to make of Darrell Henderson? I don't know. 
He maybe should even be a little lower on this list, but I'm just not ready to bury him just yet because I like them. Uh, I already mentioned Zach Moss. He comes in at 13 for me. Him and Devin Singletary maybe should be right next to each other. But again, because of Singletary's productive year one, showing a little bit better in the past game than I thought, he's a little bit higher than Zach Moss right now. Uh, and I have Zach Moss behind AJ Dillon and Darrell Henderson because I just like their talent better than Zach Moss. I've never been a huge Zach Moss guy. Uh, he's solid. He's functional. Uh, but he's not a guy who's going to be a big play threat. He's not a guy who's good in the pass game. So that's why he's down there at 13, but he does have some draft capital. Uh, Number 14, Anthony McFarlane. And honestly, the more I think about it, you know, I'm even going to switch it right now. I think Anthony McFarlane should be ahead of Zach Moss. I think, you know, after talking about Williamson last week, I think Anthony McFarlane's got an opportunity to become an integral part of that rushing attack in Pittsburgh as soon as this year, to be honest with you. Uh, I think James Conner is going to be gone after this year. So I do think McFarlane is a big play for it. You watch his 2018 film. He looked like a top 50 pick. So, you know, this year he battled, you know, a nagging injury a little bit, but I think there's an opportunity. Is he ever going to be the bell cow? No, I don't think he's ever going to be the bell cow. Uh, that's not his game. I think if they, if James Conner leaves after the year, they probably go out and get another guy to go with Anthony McFarlane. But I think Anthony McFarlane and his big playability can be productive, even if he's not, you know, a heavy workload. If he's in that 12, touch week a game, I think he could be fantasy viable. Same thing with Darrell Henderson. So it makes sense that I kind of now situated them back to back there, 12 and 13. Zach Moss, we talked about at 14. I have Alexander Madison at 15. Love the talent, solid player, but he's buried behind Dalvin Cook. So he's a handcuff, you know, or, you know, a guy who's going to see 25, 30% of the workload. I think his best fantasy viable might be down the line. I like it, Alexander Madison's skill set more than Zach Moss, but I think Zach Moss has a clearer path to more touches. So that's why I have Madison at 15. Damian Harris at 16. We'll see if he gets on the football field and makes anything for New England. Antonio Gibson at 17 for the Skins. 18, Tony Pollard, Dallas. 19, Raquel Armstead, Jacksonville. 20, Darrington Evans. In that group there, Antonio Gibson, I don't know the role usage for him. Same thing with Tony Pollard. So I kind of, former teammates there at Memphis, I have them back-to-back because I need to see what type of workload and opportunity they get if they could be fantasy viable. Raquel Armstead down at 19 might be too might be too low, to be honest with you. If they trade Leonard Fournette during the year, Raquel Armstead, you know, goes right up to that that number eight, nine range of this list and an opportunity. But again, as much as I like Raquel Armstead, if Leonard Fournette leaves in the offseason, my guess is whether it's in free agency or the draft, they bring in another pretty valuable asset at the running back position, whether it's a round two or round three pick. I don't think they go round one again after Leonard Fournette, but it could be a day two running back. It could be a free agent. Maybe it's a guy like Marlon Mack down the line, whoever it might be, you know, you know, instead of Leonard Fournette. So I don't think Raquel Armstead will be the guy by himself. So that's why he's down there. And then rounding it out at 21, I have Joshua Kelly to the Chargers. I think he has a chance to work his way into part of that committee. LaMichael Pirine at 22 with the Jets. I think Le'Veon Bell's only there this year. So can Pirine, you know, carve out a role there long-term. Lynn Bowden for the Raiders at 23. I don't know how many touches he's going to get a, a game. DJ Dallas, 24 is intriguing. He might have some value as, as early as this year, but I'm not buying long-term. I, I, you know, with Chris Carson and Richard Penny there, and even if, if down the line, those guys aren't there, I don't think DJ Dallas is locked in. I think Seattle, especially if Pete Carroll's still there, will always want to invest and have a really good running back atop, you know, round one, round two, or a good investment free agency type running back. 
you know, so I don't think DJ Dallas is that answer. Justice Hill is at 25 for me. I like the player a lot, but I just, you know, he's a little bit buried on the depth chart right now. And if J.K. Dobbins is as good as I think he's going to be, I don't know how much that leaves for Justice Hill to be fantasy viable. You know, Benjamin at 26, last name I'll mention, uh, you know, Arizona, I think he has a chance to, even as a seventh round pick, to maybe push Chase Edmonds a little bit. I have Bryce Love at 28. Uh, I'm sorry, at 28, I skipped over 27. Rodney Anderson, both of those guys coming back from injuries. We'll see if any of those get a chance. I, I did like Rodney Anderson's talent a lot on film when he was in college. 29, Benny Snell, Pittsburgh, and then 30, Darwin Thompson, KC. I like Darwin Thompson, but unless he carves out a role with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, once Damian Williams moves on, I just don't see any way that he's going to have much fancy viability moving forward. Let's round this out tonight with the wide receivers. At number one for me is A.J. Brown. He was my number one wide receiver before the 2019 draft. He was my number one wide receiver for rookie drafts. By the time I finalized my rankings, and he's still my number one rookie when you combine it with the ridiculously talented 2020 rookie class because we've already seen A.J. Brown prove it at the NFL level that he can dominate. I think he is best inside the slot as a big slot, but he can win on the inside, the outside, his ability after the catch to be a dangerous weapon because of his physicality and toughness and his sudden quickness and burst. I love A.J. Brown, the player. He's number one for me in these combined 2019 and 2019 and 2020 Dynasty Rookie Rankings for the wide receivers. Then I go to Judy and Lamb from this year's draft class, Jerry Judy Denver, C.D. Lamb Dallas. I like both of those guys landing spots. You know, a little bit questionable. I do think C.D. Lamb could surprise this year. Uh, long-term, Jerry Judy's my favorite, uh, but he is really dependent upon a lot of Drew Locke taking that next step. Uh, C.D. Lamb's got to deal with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, but he's in that Dallas offense. He's got Dak Prescott. His situation's better than Judy, but he's a little bit further down the depth chart. Judy could develop into the, the you know, the clear number two as soon as this year and maybe even push Sutton down to number two you know, by next year or then have a 1A, 1B type thing. Uh, so they're my two, three. I have Debo Samuel and Terry McLaurin and DK Metcalf at four, five, six. So as talented as this draft class is, I went back to the well and had three guys from last year's draft class. Samuel, McLaurin, Metcalf. I love Debo Samuel's rookie year last year. I think the sky's the limit for him in that Kyle Shanahan offense, the way to utilize him in terms of the run game as well as the pass game. So he's at number four for me, but these guys are very close-knit. Terry McLaurin, what he did last year with poor quarterback play, I think speaks volumes for just how talented he could be. So he's at number five. Uh, DK Metcalf, we saw what he can do last year. He transitioned even better than I thought he was. He's tied to the hip to Russell Wilson. So for that argument, if somebody wants to have DK Metcalf ahead of Terry McLaurin, I get it and I completely understand it. If people want to move McLaurin down further because the uncertainty at the quarterback position in Washington, I get that too. But I saw his separation quickness and I saw a guy that was a very tough cover uh, for defensive backs. And he was, you know, a wide receiver that created constant separation. That's his game. DK Metcalf wins more vertically down the field and at the catch point. I always skew a little bit more towards the the really good route runners with the separation quickness. So I think McLaurin is is a tougher guy to stop long-term. So I slightly would have him ahead of Metcalf. But I think Debo, McLaurin, and Metcalf, you can shake them up and put them in any order you want to, and I would understand it. I think it's crazy for how little hype people thought the 2019 wide receiver class was. In my top six, I have four from the, the 2019 class, and then just Judy and Lamb. 
So after that, I have a whole slew of guys from this year's draft class. And number seven, I have Henry Ruggs, Raiders. Number eight, Jalen Rager, Eagles. Number nine, Justin Jefferson, uh, the Vikings. And number 10, T. Higgins, the Bengals. If somebody if somebody said, you know what, I believe more in Ruggs, Rager, Jefferson, or Higgins than the guys from last year in terms of long-term upside, I don't doubt that. I mean, if Henry Ruggs ever becomes Tyreek Hill or anything close to that, then he should be higher. He should be ahead of Debo Samuel, McLaurin, and DK Metcalf. But the truth is, we've already seen Debo, McLaurin, and Metcalf trans- transition to the NFL and be very good. I take that. We see really talented players fail every year. The hit rate in the NFL is not good. We have seen first-round wide receivers recently, a lot of them, Corey Coleman, Josh Doxson, Laquan Treadwell, Corey Davis, you know, even Mike Williams, I don't think is is warranted the top 10 pick that he was. John Ross, I mean, the list goes on and on of guys who have not made it. Sammy Watkins has not been as good as what his draft capital was when he came out in 2014. So for... When I've seen a guy already show it, I take that into consideration and move those guys a little bit higher. So that's why, for me, I have the Samuel McLaurin and Metcalf. On Before the NFL draft last year compared to this year, I probably didn't have those guys as high as these guys on film alone in college. But I take into account a lot of what they did that first year in the NFL. If I keep this going, number 11, I have Marquise Brown. I think he could even be higher, but I do just wonder about that offense potentially holding him back a little bit. They've added more weapons now in Devin Duvernay and J.K. Dobbins. So I love Marquise Brown. I was screaming from the hilltop last year that he was going too late in rookie drafts. I, While we've seen him translate, I think the uncertainty of how consistent it would be is what I pushed him a, below the Ruggs, Rager, Jefferson, and Higgins group. But to be honest with you, Marquise Brown could easily, easily be at number seven on this list. You know, so whether he's seven or 11, I think that's, I think Brown could easily be with the group of guys from the 2019 class, but he battled injuries last year. He's got to show he's healthy. We got to see Lamar Jackson continue to develop into a better passer. So that's why, you know, I still think there's a lot of, things that we got to see there, even though he did prove it last year. Uh, I love the fact that Higgins is attached to Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, high draft capital. I think he could be a very high volume type guy. Jalen Rager, I love the fit in Philadelphia. I already talked about Henry Ruggs. He could have, you know, Tyree Kill type upside, but if not that, maybe he's on the Will Fuller, Deshaun Jackson spectrum. If that's the case, he's a slam dunk pick as well. If I keep this going at number 12, I had Michael Pittman Jr., Colts, 13, Brandon Ayuk, 49ers, 14, Denzel Mims, Jets, 15, LaVisca Chenault, Jaguars. So again, I have that whole group of guys from the day two, second round of this year's NFL draft. Right after them, I have 16, McCole Hardman, 17, Darius Slayton, 18, Deontay Johnson, 19, Nikhil Harry, and then 20, KJ Hamler. So then after I just talked about this whole, you know, I value them producing in the NFL. I have a whole bunch of guys that haven't produced in the NFL over McCall Harmon, Darius Slayton and Deontay Johnson, who did last year. Here's the difference. I look at Michael Pittman and think he could be the alpha wide receiver for the Colts, you know, long term, especially as T.Y. Hilton continues to age. I look at Brandon Ayuk, and I think there's plenty enough to go around, and him and Debo could be a 1A, 1B type scenario, and Kyle Shanahan can get both of them their production. 
I look at Denzel Mims and I think the Jets depth chart is wide open. And I, I, I look at LaVisca Chenault and his ability, similar to Debo Samuel, to do things receiving, rushing, and get more targets. McCole Harmon is the wild card here. McCole, if the Chiefs didn't bring back Sammy Watkins, McCole Harmon would be much higher on this list, to be frankly honest with you. And a year from now, if McCole Harmon is in the top, and I was to redo this, I could see McCole Harmon being in the top six or seven. That's how talented I think he is. He's attached to Patrick Mahomes. But on the flip side, I could see the Chiefs constantly just investing in multiple resources, having three or four really good receivers mix in with Travis Kelsey. But now you got, you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So I'm worried that the addition of Clyde Edwards Hilaire bringing back Sammy Watkins is McCole Harmon even get as many targets as he got last year? I don't know. So that's why I love the talent and I love that he's attached to Patrick Mahomes, but there's, you know, in terms of the target opportunity, I don't know where we sit with McCole Hartman. Darius Slayton had a breakout year last year. He maybe deserves to be a little bit higher, but I think as a fifth-round pick, he's got to show it for a second year before I think people fully buy in to not think that, you know, like because what's saying that next year the Giants aren't picking the top 10 and go draft the Jamar Chase or Justin Ross. And then they have Jamar Chase or Justin Ross as their clear guy, Sterling Shepard, who they locked in. And if he stays healthy, is a really good number two wide receiver. Then that means Darius Slayton might continue to be the number three wide receiver. And when you talk about a number three wide receiver for the Giants, well, then you also got to take into account they have Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram. So there's a number three wide receiver actually mean you know the fifth you know guy in terms of targets you know I think this year Slayton Shepard and Tater are going to be all very close together but if they were to bring in an alpha guy next year you know I think that hinders his long-term upside a little bit compared to some of the other guys that were drafted this year and because he doesn't just have the draft capital as much I do think that still matters so that's why he's at 17 Deontay Johnson Pittsburgh just drafted you know, Chase Claypool, if we knew if Juju Smith was going to be there long-term or they were basically giving up on James Washington, you can make the case Deontay Johnson could be a little higher in this. He had a really good first year uh, for Pittsburgh. Nikhil Harry at 19 might stun people, but I wasn't a huge Nikhil Harry fan last year. I told everybody I didn't love the fit in New England. I had some concerns about separation quickness. I said it from last year. I thought his best production was going to come post-Tom Brady because – Tom Brady's not really the guy that just throws it up and asks his wide receivers to go win and make the, the catch at the catch point. Besides Rob Gronkowski and Randy Moss in their prime, two of the all-time greats, that's just not Tom Brady. So I didn't think he meshed well. I do think Stidham might be willing to give him more chances, but if Belichick and McDaniels are training into Stidham to take care of the ball, same thing. Are they going to just be willing? Is Stidham going to be willing to put the ball in harm's way to have Nikhil Harry go win it at the catch point? Or did they going to want to protect the football? So I think Nikhil Harry's got a lot of d- doing to try to climb up this. You know, most people had him as their number one dynasty rookie wide receiver last year in terms of the 2019 class. I was never that high on him. Uh, in one, in multiple leagues, I drafted McCole Hardman and Debo Samuel ahead of him just to, you know, when I, when I do my rankings, they're based on what I would do in a real draft. You know, obviously sometimes, you know, your roster makeup can impact it a little bit, but when we're talking all wide receivers, it's the way, you know, I draft the way I base my rankings and then I had to adjust my rankings to have Hardman and Debo definitely ahead of Nikhil Harry because I just wasn't a fan in terms of, of the opportunity. I thought there were other places he could have went that would have, you know, if he would have went to Philadelphia instead of J.J. Orsega Whiteside, I think Nikhil Harry might be better and be on a higher trajectory. 
And number 20, I have KJ Hamler. Love the player, but very crowded, you know, depth chart there. Uh, can he ever climb over being the number three there with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy? Is the offense ever good enough to support three wide receivers, fantasy wise, and a tight end and Noah fan and good running back production? I'm not sure, but I love the talent. Number 21, Chase Claypool. Number 22, Brian Edwards, the Raiders. Claypool, I already talked about before with the Steelers. 23, I have Paris Campbell of the Colts. He was an early day two selection last year. Uh, so Paris Campbell's a guy. Can he take the next step now there with Phillip Rivers? Again, that depth chart is wide open. It could be T.Y. for another year, maybe a little longer. But Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell could legitimately develop into two of the top three wide receivers there. Love is after the catch ability. 24, Van Jefferson, 25, Devin DuVernay, two guys drafted in round three. I'm sorry, uh, Jefferson was the end of round two, DuVernay in round three. I think both of those guys, you know, they got to see how they fit in their depth charts if they get enough opportunity to be fantasy viable. And then uh, Andy Isabella is at number 26. Does he get an opportunity this year to develop into the third wide receiver behind? Well, this year would be fourth. Fitzgerald's still there. But can he start showing signs that when Fitzgerald retires, if he could become that third wide receiver in that spread at attack, it could be fantasy viable down the line. Calvin Harmon, Redskins, loved him pre-draft last year. I uh, was glad to see him get on the football field and have some productive moments last year. Can he carve out a role starting alongside Terry McLaurin? I think it's to be determined. They drafted Antonio Gandy Golden this year, so he might compete with him for that other outside job. At 28, I have J.J. Orsega-Whiteside. Very disappointed in him. Didn't love him pre-draft last year. Uh, tried to buy. Tried to convince myself that the opportunity in Philadelphia was was a good one, but we saw last year that even with all the Eagles issues at wide receiver, the injuries, the guys they were playing, Ortega Whiteside still couldn't carve out a, a clear role. Now this year they've went out and invested many draft picks on wide receivers, traded for Marquise Goodwin. I'm not sure they believe in J.J. Ortega Whiteside long-term. 29, Quintus Cephas, Detroit. I think he could develop there into Marvin Jones' replacement down the line or be their third uh, wide receiver as a big slot. Uh, 30, Gabriel Davis, Buffalo. I think if they were to move on from John Brown in a year, Gabriel Davis could develop into a starter. Antonio Gandy-Golden, I mentioned before, he's at 31 for me. He's going to compete with Calvin Harmon to see if any of those guys can develop as day three wide receivers to become clear starters alongside Terry McLaurin. And then rounding out 32, Tyler Johnson in Tampa Bay. You know, like the player, like the scheme fit, like the landing spot. But with Mike Evans and, and Chris Godwin there, if they're there locked in long term, not sure there's enough value for a third wide receiver. Isaiah Coulter, 33, Houston. I think he's intriguing uh, with that depth chart. I like his b- bigger guy, good ball skills, uh, good athleticism. So I like Coulter. 34, Miles Boykin, Baltimore. Again, similar to Marquise Brown. What type of opportunity? They love using the tight ends. I think they're going to use the running backs more moving forward. What type of opportunity and target share does Miles Boy can get? And then keep an eye on Jalen Hurd. He's my number 35th wide receiver. San Francisco, they had high hopes for him. They drafted him in the third round last year. Does he, is it, does, does the 49ers depth chart at wide receiver become Debo Samuel, Jalen Hurd, and Brandon Ayuk? Three guys. Beyond versatile, guys who can run jet sweeps, can do end of rounds, can do shuttle passes, can line up in a variety of different ways. You can use all in motion. If that's the case, it's going to be very intriguing. After the catch, Hurd, Ayuk, 
Debo, those guys have a skill set to make people miss and be impactful in the open field and a lot of versatility. So it's going to be interesting to see if he gets on the field this year. So there it is, guys. I think the wide receivers as a whole was the hardest to do the rankings and the top of the running back board of trying to differentiate between Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire were the things I found most challenging. I hope you guys enjoyed this exercise. I really do think it's fun uh, to fun activity to try to rank these two classes together to kind of make some sense of it, to think about maybe some trade targets as you're in your rookie drafts. Again, guys, if you have any questions, I love talking about this. Reach out to me on Twitter, uh, send me a DM, send me a tweet and say, you know, do you mind, you know, sending me a DM? I have a question, you know, about a trade or anything like that. Like, I love the interaction with you guys. Uh, so please do not hesitate to reach out, especially when it's about rookie drafts, you know, and thoughts on the rookie class and related to either current NFL players or, you know, the most recent rookies, you know, like I did on this podcast. So there it is, guys. Hope you enjoyed this again. If you like what we've been doing, please get over to the website. SS Football is the quickest and easiest way to get there. Consider purchasing the premium notebooks. It is still not too late. You can get a tremendous amount of value out of the notebook still for $9.99. It is the best way to support the show. If you have any questions in the notebooks, do not hesitate to reach out to me. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.